That's good. Okay. All right, we're about ready to get started here. Uh, we're going to continue our study of the divine institutions. We're going to continue to look at the first one, which is volition. The next one coming up is marriage. The next one is family, and the next one is nation. Our nation is... Um, it's not just our nation, but we're kind of the focal point right now. Every one of these divine institutions is under massive assault. And some people think, well, the issue of free will is not under massive assault, but it actually is because uh, a lot of people are excusing themselves, believing that they're a product of their environment rather than their decisions. And so that's just evolutionary thought. Evolutionary thought is anti-God. It is anti-theistic. So we have a battle on our hands. So we have to identify the enemy. We have to know what he does. And then we have to stand firm against such things. So people are, we're, people are responsible for the decisions they make, like it or not. You can't get rid of it because God is the one who ordained it that way. And we've been setting what happens whenever we follow the Lord. We've also looked at what happens if we descend into evil, because that's possible even for believers. Uh, it's possible for nations. It's possible for families. It's possible for uh, individuals to descend into evil. And so what we are looking to do as a born-again Christian you're born again at the moment of faith in Jesus Christ. What we're looking to do is grow up. And that should be our objective. And some people think, well, there's, there's, uh, they don't even need to grow up spiritually. They can continue to be a spiritual baby all of their life. And so we're going to look at some characteristics of what it means to grow up and where the Bible calls us to grow up as Christians. So before we begin, let's take a few moments for prayer. Um, has anybody been distracted by the world this last week? Has anybody found themselves talking to the television set? this last week or radio um, yeah it's real easy to do um, anyway let's take a few more let's push all that mess aside let's let the Lord's word feed us this morning let's pray Father again we're so amazingly blessed Father we know we're under testing and Father, this is testing, uh, some of which we've never undergone or thought we ever would. But Father, this is a testing, first of all, it is a battle for the souls of mankind. And Father, in a lot of ways, the, the Christians are losing the battle. Father, in a lot of ways, humanity is losing the battle. So Father, I pray that we will not be casualties, but rather that we would be your warriors, that you would equip us to be able to stand firm against the forces of darkness. Father, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're at the 11th point in this uh, where the Bible describes multiple characteristics reflect immaturity. And sometimes people think, well, we, I just, I'm saved. Some people believe there's a multitude of different uh, beliefs out there. Some people believe you're born again and everything gets perfect in your life and you never want to sin, you never do sin, that everything is uh, just fine from then on. And uh, I, I just ask them if they're proud of not being able to sin anymore. And usually that kind of gets through. 
a little bit because if you're proud of your humility then you have a problem that is not yet identified so anyway the bible describes multiple characteristics that reflect immaturity they're not god's directive will for our lives now we remember in the plan of god in a big part of the plan of God, he establishes his directive will. These are things that are found and prescribed by his word, and they are the way that Christians should live, the way Christians should act. That's his directive will. If it's not found written in the world and we add to it, then we develop legalisms quite easily, and that's not what we want to do. The harshest words Jesus had was not for the unbelievers, but for the hypocrites, the Pharisees that thought they knew it all. So we don't want to be labeled amongst them. In fact, I have uh, one of the, I ran across it the other day, the Pharisees' Guide to Total Holiness. And uh, it's quite a humorous look at the way people look at things. And uh, one of those little uh, sarcasms that tend to uh, make a point along the way. But they're not directive wills. What is God's directive will for us? Now, that's what we want to know. His directive wills that we grow up. Now, last week we read Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. For what purpose? Till we all grow up in Christ. That's what the gifts are given for. And uh, we're not to be like the Corinthians. The Corinthians in chapter 12 or uh, 1 Corinthians were just strutting their stuff about who had what gift. It's not about who has what gift. It's about how the gifts are used. So we need to, to find our gift and use it, obviously, to, to glorify him. But his directive will for us is to grow up. The Proverbs 6 passage is the passage about uh, what is not directive will. It's a list of the seven worst sins that we find in Scripture. Now, where we left off last week is with the issue of, of mental attitude sins because a lot of people might appear mature on the outside, they seem to have it all together. They look good, but what's going on upstairs in between the ears is where the problems are. And uh, mental attitude sins is a big part of, of the problem. Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28 says, You have heard it was said you should not commit adultery. I say to you, everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. So the Lord took the, the Pharisees that thought they had everything perfect, and he says, now you might have all this on the outside that looks so good, but up here is the problem. And mental sins are sins, just like sins of the tongue, just like overt sins. They are all sins and required a Messiah to pay for them. We find in Romans 13... In verse 8, it's an interesting passage where it's another mental sin. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbors fulfill the law. It says, For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it's summed up in this way, you shall love your neighbors yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. In Romans 7, Paul talked about the sin of covetousness. He said, I did all right with the first nine commandments. Okay? I managed to figure out a way. I had only one God. I honored the Sabbath. I honored my father. My, I, I did all of that. 
And then he said, then I got to the last one. You shall not covet. That one I had a problem with. He realized that because that moves from the overt where most people put a lot of these things only. That's a mistake. And it moves directly into the mental attitude. And he said, I had a problem with that. And he realized that he was a sinner in need of a savior. In 1 John 3, 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now, but abiding in him means you're not living the life that you should live, which is to abide in Christ. And you're abiding in Christ, you know you have eternal life, and there's no question about it. He'll spell that out two chapters after he writes this, this verse. So mental sins, the first ones that we're looking at is mental attitude adultery. Then we look at the issue of covetousness. We look at the issue of um, hate as well. Those are mental attitude sins. Now they can go overt, they can be spoken, and they can be acted on. But the, the problem in the, head, in the head is where it starts. The next one is pride. Now... Pride is one of those sins that just creeps up on us before we even know it. Um, Mark 7, verse 20 to 23. He was saying, this is Jesus speaking, and they, were, they just attacked the disciples because they ate food with unwashed hands. They didn't follow the ritual cleansing of washing their hands before they started eating the food. So the Pharisees went after them. And the Lord says, that which proceeds out of the man, that's what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, Deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. He's saying that these things, even theft, etc., those they start on the inside. So the real battle, and I find it interesting, it came up in politics this year. Battle for the soul of America. It is a battle for the soul of America. But sadly, the one that, that seems to promote that is the one that doesn't have a clue what the soul of America needs. Because the soul of America doesn't need bigger government and more politics. What it needs is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it needs. We had him as a nation at one time and then started moving away from him. I, I can't help but think every time the Lord... When he was warning the Jews about going into the promised land, and he said, when you get there, be careful when things start to go well with you. The test, okay, the test are what often builds the church. Just read the book of Acts. And they, the church was growing and being persecuted, and the church was persecuted and it was growing. There, the church in various countries is growing in part because it is being persecuted. Now, are we just going to lay down? You know, the persecution comes when, when Christians don't lay down their arms. That's when the persecution hits. If you want to give up and quit, then uh, maybe the persecution will ease off, but not really. I've got word over the last few days that, that uh, persecution in India... 
there was a group of people decided to have a prayer meeting and they uh, they opened up the prayer meeting and there was 300 people showed up to it they were tired of being cooped up and they showed up with the mask and everything else anyway the uh, uh, they got attacked by the locals and I don't mean just reprimanded or yelled at I mean with sticks and stones and everything else they were attacked three pastors got arrested for that but there are issues that are we gonna, are we just going to lay down and give up and I think the answer that's no could it hurt yes well is it worth it I think so <laughs> and that was sarcastic I know it is the pride that gets in in our way in first John 2 verse 16 and 17 for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life that's not from the father but is from the world and the world is passing away and also it's lust and the one who does the will of God though abides forever and in this uh, uh, a beautiful picture because a lot of what is being said here a lot of people just want to look good they're more interested in the appearance than in the content I remember hearing years ago whenever they would do some kind of debate a political debate and instead of evaluating the content the commentators came on and said well the delivery was very well done very well uh, and not one word about what the content was of what had been delivered so it becomes all about keeping up appearances there's a British comedy out and that's the title of it I'm sure I've, if you haven't seen any of it if you find it floating around with uh, Mrs. Uh, Bouquet otherwise known as Bucket and <laughs> it's called Keeping Up Appearances it is quite humorous it is quite dry as British humor is but it is all about how we're going to look to people and uh, it was it was a classic keep in we just want to look good see but on the outside things can look really good and on the inside then be really bad and that's where the problems are pride is one of those things that's not mature they don't reflect pride does not reflect maturity then we have legalism and that establishes a false set of standards for spirituality now Galatians 5 1 says it was for freedom that Christ set us free and when he writes that down he, the context is legalism the legalism that had been added in in chapter 1 you remember of Galatians Paul said if I or an angel from heaven comes to you with a different gospel don't listen to him why because that different gospel in context is he is Paul is dealing with the rise of the circumcision party in the early church that was wanting to get all the Gentiles circumcised according to the law of Moses after the pattern of Abraham and so there's a battle going on they'd added a work to salvation and Paul said I gave you the right gospel already if I come and change it because I've been swayed if I come and change it because I've been swayed then uh, there's a problem there don't listen to it chapter 2 he went nose to nose with Peter the apostle over that issue of circumcision chapter 3 they were thinking that well let's see um, spirituality is by works of the law and he asked him did you receive the spirit by works of the law 
Everybody here in couple with faith. The chapter on spirituality, I believe, in the, the first book written by Paul right after uh, the book of James was written. Chapter 4 actually gives the only sanctified allegory in Scripture and describes the, the issue of, of faith and works. And chapter 5 says, It was for freedom Christ set us free. Keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. That's the slavery of legalism. Legalism takes something that might be tradition or it might be ritual and it turns it into a standard of spirituality. Uh, I can think of about a thousand things that fit into that. Water baptism probably is one of the, the big deals. You know, baptism is one of those things that um, it <laughs> says, go forth, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Now, some people say, well, that's baptism in the Holy Spirit, but I'm sorry, but a human being doesn't really have the power to do that. That's baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and then it says baptizing them. Baptism means to identify with, identifying them with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, the, that's what it is all about. But then over the course of history, people have fought and died over the, the specific ritual that is used to do that. Okay, do they have to go all the way underwater? I believe so. I believe that's what baptism is all about, a total immersion, okay, in, in water. Sprinkling to me indicates a limited atonement. I believe it was an unlimited atonement. So I, I, but the whole issue is identifying with Christ. That's the whole issue behind baptism. And so then there were people, the dunkards had a big battle that when they, they would dunk backwards three times in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the whole okay that's the way they did it they had a big split back in the 1800s because a group said we need to baptize forward in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and it split that's legalism how is she going to say it that's legalism Lord's table same way well how do you serve it oh do you do you, do you serve the bread and I'll partake of the bread and then serve the cup and I'll partake of the cup. Do you serve the bread and the cup at the same time? Do you use the same cup? Now, in this day and time, a lot of people have changed that method of operation. But for some, it was set in stone. It was interesting. Done communion in various countries around the world and it's one cup that makes the cycle. And what do you do? You sanctify it, <laughs> and then you partake. That's what it is. Don't make an issue out of it. It's not consequential. But legalism is so easily added in to the way people do things. And I've I mentioned the Sabbath day's journey the Jews had. You know, they counted their steps. That's slavery. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. Don't be subject again to something that is not God's directive will. Now, <clears throat> legalism. It can be ritual legalism. It can be religious legalism. Ritual, legal, ritual legalism is the Lord's table baptism, the method by which it is done. The um, religious legalism is wherever you develop a order of service. Oh, that could never happen in a church, could it? Let's see, 
only certain kinds of songs could be sing, sang. Okay, there needs to be some taste involved in that. No argument about that. But how many? You know, some churches set the pattern. One song. Other ones say, no, we're going to be more liberal. Two songs. But don't you dare do more than two songs. When we first came here, this was a two-song church. I'll tell you. And when we went to three, there were comments that came. Are all we're going to do sing? We're going to get some teaching? Are we just going to sing? Is that all we're going to do? Well, the fourth song was a whole other deal, too. But see, it's a matter of, that's just legalism. That's all it is, pure and simple, because the Bible doesn't tell us how many to do. What does it say? Worship the Lord <laughs> with songs, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody with your heart to the Lord. If you wanted to do songs, let's see, that'd be two songs. Hymns, that'd be two more songs. Spiritual songs, that'd be two more songs, at least. I could make a stronger case for singing a lot of songs. Now, <clears throat> What needs to happen is teaching. Oh, I, I heard people say a long time ago that, gosh, he must be straight. And what he's teaching, he uses an overhead projector. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> it's nothing about the method. It's what about the content. Is the content of value? Does the content come from the word of God the Lord's word where does the content come from that's about the teaching because um, there are a lot of different ways to do it I've taught with gosh who would have thought about using a computer to project something on a screen a hundred years ago to do that but of course when that came out there were people who said that's got to be of the devil just like the telephone the telephone people would call and gossip about it so at one point in time the churches condemned the use of the telephone because gossip might happen mm. instead of you learning how to use things properly they just assume they'll be used improperly and you know what you can count on they will somewhere along the line legalism is one of the descriptions of immaturity how about immorality that's uh, Galatians 5.19. At all the works of the flesh are evident. They are. And it, start, and it that's part of what it talks about. This is immorality, impurity, fornication. The actual act itself is a sign of immaturity. The visual. I, I've, you know, there are people that think, well, as long as the actual act is not being involved in then visual through pornography is okay. I've heard that argument. Mental. Yeah, they're all sins. Matthew 5, 28, we just saw. How about the love of money? It's amazing how anytime something goes wrong in politics, the mantra is follow the money and how true it is. How true it is. Follow the money. Who's getting paid? Who's getting paid off? What are they doing for that, for that financial benefit? Uh, I, Psalm 11 or 15, I don't remember which one, says the righteous man swears to his own hurt. 
And it's a, it's a passage that basically says that honor and character are far more important than anything else. Than anything else. To deal with other people with honor and character is more important than illicit gain. Because if you're not dealing with honor and character, it's illicit gain that comes in. The love of money. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, We brought nothing into this world... <laughs> So we cannot take anything out of it either. That should be the doctrine of the blatantly obvious. It really should be. We're, we, we didn't bring anything in. We can't take anything out. So it's what does that do for the Egyptian pharaohs? They were going to take it all with them, weren't they, into the next life. Some people think they can, they can do that here. Uh, Dr. Ryrie says you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can do the good that you need to do good now because God's going to reward you for eternity for that. He says, if we have food and covering, with this we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, all categories of evil, all kinds of evil. It is a greed that is driving. And it says, Some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. Now we know it's established well that they haven't lost their salvation. But they're certainly acting in an immature way. And they've pierced themselves as a result with many a pang. The love of money is a mark of, of immaturity. And then criminal behavior. 1 Peter 4, verses 15 and 16. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer. And a lot of us could look at that and go, well, that's pretty good. Done pretty well there. Kind of like Paul, you know, with the first nine until he got to the tenth one. And then it says, or, or troublesome meddler. <laughs> I like when Paul does this. He lists the ones and then right at the end, he tacks one on right there that is kind of generic. Kind of like in the works of the flesh, which he lists all of them. He says, and things such as these. And he adds that phrase on and you're going, oh, there's more to it than just, see, because a legalist, what's a legalist going to do? A legalist is going to get a list of sins to follow and they are going to say, well, I... I, I'm innocent of that uh, guilty of that okay I'll confess that okay I'm innocent of that and it, we start looking for uh, the boundaries just like a little kid see that fence stay inside the fence and the first thing they do is go to the fence check it out they want to know what their boundaries are that's the way things work or troublesome meddler now, see, sometimes you can be a troublesome meddler just by passing on a little bit of gossip. Let's see, I think it's Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not go up and down as a talebearer amongst thy people. One of the biggest problems in Israel, <laughs> out in the desert, you can just imagine, because if it was there, they violated it. Going up and down as a talebearer amongst thy people. It's the spread of gossip malicious malicious type of things he says if anyone suffers though as a Christian 
Okay, because that is deserved suffering he's talking about. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name, let him glorify God. There are people right now in jail. There are people in jail who have been there because they sang too loud in their church service, because they dared to assemble themselves together. This is, this is uh, viewed as criminal, but don't feel ashamed. If you get caught and get in trouble for being a Christian, don't feel ashamed for it. And here is the one that becomes increasingly a question, anti-authority. Now see, this basically looks at total rebellion of soul, where it's the problem. Because you have to balance this. You have to have a balance with Daniel 2, where he was told not to pray in public, keep it to yourself and all that. And so what did he do? He opened up the windows and he prayed. That's what he did. Why? Because the king had overstepped his boundaries. There is a king over all. So if you can appeal to a higher authority, it's just like going through the court system. If you don't get relief in the court system where you're supposed to start, you take it to a higher court and appeal it. And you go through the court system. It's been that way. The Mosaic Law, uh, Code of Hammurabi, the Assyrian Law Code, that's the way it has been. That's the way it starts. That's what it, what it is. But somebody that is totally against all authority, see, that's a sign of immaturity. Romans 13, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Now, this is an interesting passage. Paul is under, they're under Roman rule. He's got to play by Roman laws, but Paul violated Roman laws at times, didn't he? Because he got hauled in front of kings and governors for the Lord's name's sake. Why? Because he violated some of their laws. So he's saying here that there are laws that you need to comply with. Uh, Christ said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. So he says there are authorities that have been established by permission of God in order to rule. And they're designed, they should be designed to keep law and order. Therefore, he who resists authority is opposed to the ordinance of God. But see, again, in context, the supreme authority, you don't want to resist the supreme authority. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation on themselves. Rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Now, the rulers want to change the concept of good and redefine good. And good should be that you're free to do what, pretty well whatever you want to do as long as you don't hurt somebody else hey, that's, I mean that's simple common sense doesn't that fall under the realm of love thy neighbor as thyself hey, simple common sense you know if we had love thy neighbor as thyself plastered everywhere and people actually tried to do that we need a whole lot less laws on the books to live by now <clears throat> That's what it is saying. Be under subjection to the governing authorities. Do they have the power and authority to regulate speed limits on city streets? Yes. 
You violate that, you, you get a ticket. Okay? That should happen. It's not often, I, I know a few police officers, that someone actually thanks them for writing them a ticket. But really, if we get caught doing that, we should thank them, should we not? Because the law is being properly administered. That's what it is for. And we don't, we don't see that. Now, there's obviously invasions of laws into places where they should not go. But in a society such as ours, we should be able to appeal those and get them changed and have an honest election in order to elect people who will uphold and defend first the Constitution of the United States. I would say first the law of God, then the Constitution of the United States, and then the state constitution, and then the local laws. That is the pecking order of the chain of command. That's the way it should work. I, I don't know if there would be anything in our Constitution of the United States now that would be in defiance of the directive will of God. I don't, can't think of anything. If you think of something, well, let me know. But it looks like it's pretty well laid out in accordance with the directive will of God by our founding fathers with a whole lot of common sense. Anti-authority. So multiple characteristics that reflect immaturity. Oh, <clears throat> People roaming around in the streets, tearing things up, burning buildings down and stuff because they just are acting like a bunch of little kids that are big enough to hurt you. Uh, that's, that's wrong. It's wrong by any standards. So the authorities in power should stop that. And that is, I think, my opinion, which I think is pretty strong on that. Personal sins that are left unchecked. People stay in immaturity for a long time. They live in sin. They don't do anything about getting out of those things. They can, that can lead to the sin unto death. First John chapter 5, this is a, a passage that, that uh, a lot of theologians wish weren't there. This thing is called the, the sin unto death. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death. He shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. The sin unto death is when it's just piled up enough that the Lord said that is enough, and he's going to take that person's life. There is a sin leading to death. In case you didn't understand that, John says that. I do not say that he should make requests for this. Now, there might be some people that fit into your framework in your little mental picture when it says love one another you say never gonna happen you might this might not like you don't care about we should not pray for God to administer the sin and the death to people that we disagree with we shouldn't do that that's not Christian what is Christian is to pray for the soul that the Lord will make it clear and abundantly clear that there is one way, truth, and life, and they're not him. First John 5. You know, it often comes along as a warning, and I think we picture Rachel, the one that Jacob loved, said who died along the way because she was warned she got caught with the family idols in the camel saddle that time and refused to give them up she was headed the wrong way and there was a warning stage 
intensification. Uh, she got into uh, the issue over babies. All she, she was obsessed with having babies and all that and compromised standards and everything else in order to, to gain that. And she died too young is basically what it says. She died along the way. How about the Jews in the desert? The Jews in the desert dying the sin unto death. You know what started it all? They grumbled. I think of Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling. Boy, isn't that one of those fun pieces of directive will of God. <laughs> Just when you think you've got it all down pat. Then you're reading through your Bible, and you know what it says in the Greek? The same thing it says in English. Do all things without grumbling. Now, if I ask, has anybody grumbled this last week? Probably we would all raise our hands. And if nobody, somebody didn't raise their hands, I could probably give you a couple of for instances. How did you react to this? And maybe you'd raise your hand before it's done. We all grumble, but the problem is when we don't recognize it, we let it go, and it keeps getting worse and worse because of, when we start grumbling, we're basically grumbling at God. You know, the grumbling in that passage, in that context, is about Jesus who died on a cross for you in your place. He emptied himself, took on the form of a bondservant. He humbled himself by dying even on a cross. That's who he is. And then it says, do all things without grumbling. What an example we have. So that's the standard. Now, <clears throat> that's sin unto death. Now, is people to send into evil? Is people to send into evil? They lose contact with reality. It's, uh, somebody said yesterday that they heard somebody say that reality is what is left after all, uh, all else disappears. Reality is what is left after all opinions leave. Reality. Second Peter 2 is talking about the last days. There'll be people even denying the master that bought them. That's 2-1. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam. What's their problem in the last days? Love of money. The son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He received a rebuke for his own transgression for a dumb donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water, mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom. I think this directly applies to the society today. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. They lose contact with reality. What's real, what's not. What is good, what's evil. Isaiah 5, they talk, they call evil good and they call good evil. 
That's losing contact with reality. Because I listen to some of the shows. Some of them I can't listen to over 15 seconds at a time. Uh, some news outlets, and they turn them on, and it takes them about that long for me to turn them back off again because they're devoid of reality. They, they make statements that are patently not true, and they're either ignorant or complicit with what is going on. And so that's a problem when people have lost contact with reality. They continue to test God. Example is the Exodus generation. People descend into evil, they, they continue to test God. This includes believers and unbelievers. I think about the, what happened prior to the flood of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. All they did was invent evil continuously. They got into one form of evil, and that led to other forms of evil, which led to other forms of evil, and they became inventors of, of evil. They continued to test God. What happened with the Exodus generation? Only two of them that left Egypt walked into the Promised Land, Joshua and Caleb. What happened to the rest of them? They died along the way. How about twisting the truth? from James chapter 3 uh, and see this is called spin they hire spin doctors today to say how can we take the reality and twist it around well James chapter 3 who among you is wise and understanding question mark let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. See, if all you want to do is make your mark in history, if all you want to do is get your 15 seconds of fame, then probably what you'll get is 15 seconds of infamy. Do something really stupid or really doesn't make any sense. And he says, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Now, can, does that fit our country? What we see going on right now, does that fit our country? There is selfish ambition. We're able to look at this and we see this disorder and we're able to look back at part of the cause and part of the cause is that you just want to do what is right in your own eyes. Okay? Not according to what God says because, you know, it's, if you, I'm sure you have noticed how everything is pushed to, let's look at the science. We just need to follow the science. How many hundreds of thousands of times you heard that over the last 10 months? We just need to follow the science. Well, you know what they're going to use that for one of these days? Okay, do they view God as scientific? No. They won't even let you teach creation as a theory in the schools. Why? Because it's not scientific. You can look for, and I am not gifted with the gift of prophecy, but the way the trends are going, you can look for a, a movement to get in God we trust off of our money. 
You can um, look for them maybe to try and chisel out the Ten Commandments that are on the Supreme Court of the United States carved in granite. You can look for them to remove any semblance of anything that deals with God. One nation under God, that's going to be gone. They're already leaving it out, a lot of them. Or some of them, if you get to watch them, refuse to speak it or say it. They want it gone. They do not believe God exists. It's at the heart of evolutionary theory. And so what are they doing? They are going to follow the science. And the science says that your environment controls all your decisions. Goodbye, volition. Goodbye, God. This is where the battle is, is raging. They want to twist the truth. They become self-righteous. We've talked about that a little bit. Matthew chapter 6. Self-righteousness is when you align with your own standards. Okay? Self-righteousness is when you might take... Uh, certain things and, and what are you as a Christian called if you say certain things are wrong you're called self-righteous aren't you that's what the world says that's called twisting they are twisting the truth the Lord in Matthew chapter 6 talks about this Matthew 6 this is in the Sermon on the Mount this is where he is addressing people his ministry is just getting started and he says beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by men Look at this facade routine again. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. That's pretty straightforward from the King of Kings. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. <laughs> Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. They got honored by men. There's nothing that goes on into eternity. When you give alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so your alms can be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will repay you. And when you pray, do not be as the hypocrites. Because they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go to your inner room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will repay you. Now see, we don't want to be legalistic about having a, a special prayer closet or something like that. It says, get somewhere that you can get some peace and quiet. So that you can pray. That's the principle that goes with it. But golly if you have a prayer closet you don't need to broadcast it to people it kind of goes against the whole thing here doesn't it <laughs> your father who sees in secret he will repay you when you're praying don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do they suppose they'll be heard for their many words that's like repeating a mantra over and over and over and over again therefore do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him Pray then in this way. Guess where the Lord's Prayer came from. Our Father, the one in heaven, sanctified be your name. Hallowed be your name is how we all learned it. Sanctified, set apart, special. Your kingdom come. Those little words right there would keep people from heading in the wrong direction over and over again. I got challenged one time, long time ago by... Some 
somebody and he said <coughs> he said well why did you depart from the way basically and I said I, I stopped trying to build my own kingdom and it just caught him off guard I said some people that have a pastor teachers a supreme authority like the pope ruling over a church are just trying to build their own kingdom some people do that not where I'm coming from anymore your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven now give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever that's the Lord's prayer but what set it up people honoring God with their lips and their heart being far away they looked good on the outside but on the inside they were full of dead men's bones they were whitewashed tombs each man did what was right in his own eyes Judges 17 6 what was the problem with the, the group after Joshua in the period of the judges each man did what was right in his own eyes and it says in Proverbs, two places in Proverbs, I think it's 12, 15 and 19, 2, about um, doing things in your own. It's not about what, I'm misquoting it. But it says the Lord weighs the hearts. Don't do what is right in your own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Do what is right in his eyes. Becoming self-righteous, and the last one is utterly rejecting God's Word. Believers can do that. Unbelievers might know something of it if they were raised with it, and they were taught standards of right and wrong and the importance of character, honor, and duty. But as they go farther and farther away from the, from the Lord, they end up utterly rejecting it. Second Peter 2 after they've escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. He's saying believers can go so far into evil that they, they, they were worse than they ever were beforehand. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. People descend into evil. That's what happens. They totally reject God's word. Now Christians are called to stand firm against that. That's what we're called to do. Our marching orders are really pretty simple. Pretty simple. Know the word and stand for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your grace, your mercy, your love, and all your blessings and all your tests. And Father, I thank you for your word again today that has encouraged us and challenged us. I pray the Holy Spirit will convict us where we need it. And I pray that we will indeed seek to grow up and grow in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.